0: Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact and double your time off. In this episode, we're speaking with Andrea Nakayama. Andrea is an international, internationally known functional medicine nutritionist, educator and speaker who is leading a movement to transform the health industry into a system that works, empowering patients and practitioners alike with the systems and tools of functional nutrition. Andrea is celebrated in what she's doing. She's focused on synthesizers, art and science, empathy and physiology, intuition and problem solving into a system that truly helps people get to the root cause of their illnesses and create a pathway towards wellness and finding their way back to life. Welcome to the show, Andrea.
1: Thank you so much, James. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, really excited to interview you. And and like we kind of talked in the pre-show, I want you to kind of give the audience some context as to who you are, what your background is and, and some of your achievements, because that's kind of why I got you on the show. So let us know a bit more about that.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, it's fun to get to talk about the business side of things because I don't often have that opportunity. So it's Mm. sort of the hidden realm of what I do because I am more known for being a leader in the functional medicine nutrition space. This was a second career for me, maybe a third career, second career for me, like it is for many. So I came from the field of Book publishing, I worked in book publishing for 15 years, was in the realm of production. And it really was when my husband was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiforme, a a really aggressive grade four brain tumor, when I was pregnant, that I took this passion that I had for nutrition and transformed that into something that I was doing all the time. Now, it took a little while for that to become a next career. So my husband, Isamu, lived two and a half years with his diagnosis. He died when our son was 19 months old. That son is now 19 years old, so it's quite some time ago. But in that story is the mission and the purpose that I'm hoping we'll talk about today that gets you over those humps in Mm. business growth and development I put myself back through school as a single mom. I really felt this was my calling and then started where we all start in my living room, seeing clients. And that grew quickly, but also with a lot of work and a lot of attention into having the biggest functional nutrition school that's online and being able to impact the lives of thousands of other practitioners each year who are therefore working with others in their mm. fields
0: yeah what what took you from having a practice into to going to the online space
1: I was teaching classes, detoxes and cleanses, and it was through the I, what I didn't even call a functional nutrition lens yet. I wasn't as familiar with functional medicine, but it was how I was thinking. Back in the day, so this is a while ago, somebody was teaching how to do teleseminars, and I thought... Well, I can do that cleanse in the yoga studio and I can do it online because people are telling their friends and family about it that don't live here where I live in Portland, Oregon. So that was my first foray into the online space doing teleseminars, seeing how that felt. And it just grew from there the big leap was when I started Functional Nutrition Lab, which is my school for practitioners. And I thought it was going to be a little mentorship group. I didn't think it was going to be this big thing that it turned into. And it was a real surprise for me that so many other clinicians wanted to know why I was having the success I was having. Mm. And that too was a learning experience. And James, you probably know this, like it doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. We can have all the best laid plans and we have to be in the realm where it pivots as we are in the process.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think that you can you can have a direction that you're going in. And we'll talk about that yes. in a bit with purpose and things, but ultimately it's as you're moving forward, it's the ability to sidestep and pivot is what gets success. And too many people think I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then I'm going to get that thing in it, and it never works out. And then when it doesn't, it kind of breaks their, their pattern, their plan and think, what the hell am I going to do now? Uh, and I see that a lot with my clients. They're always looking for strategies and tactics. And I think that strategies are there to help you implement on on your purpose and your goals. Uh, and then the tactic is the thing you're doing, but those are not the things that get us success. So let's segue into that because I think that's that's an awesome pivot. You had an amazing story and something that i think I would say none of us want to experience, right? That's a a horrible situation, but you were able to pivot out of that and and make some amazing transformations. What gave you such purpose to do what you're doing? I feel like I know the answer, but what gave you such purpose to, to do that?
1: Really seeing the gaps in healthcare and feeling like my life was to be lived for not just myself, but the loss of a loved one. So I think this is true for many of us that were called to this work that we do in the healing professions to be able to help others because of a personal experience that we've had. And for me, a huge part of that personal experience was seeing the gaps in healthcare, seeing where we weren't treating patients like people, but instead like their diagnosis and where there was more to do in a sort of integrative and holistic fashion to help each and every individual. So it became sort of a rallying cry for me of no more. Like this is not, especially for people with chronic illness, this is not okay. And something you said earlier, James, about the pivot, and I'm a huge pivoter. And I can pivot pretty easily. And I think, you know, in our constitutions, our personal makeups, we're not all easy pivoters. And I have to recognize that about people on my team. Not everybody pivots so easily, but it's the same when we think about being in clinical practice. I'm not a supporter of the protocol and saying like, if somebody has Hashimoto's or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, this is the protocol because that bypasses the reality of the human that we're working with. And we each. Got to that tipping point that becomes a pathological diagnosis for different reasons. Two mm-hmm. people, I have Hashimoto's myself, we got there for different reasons. And so as clinicians, it's our job to be in that process and to really uncover what's true for that individual, which is the true meaning of Functional. We make sure the body works and does what it's mm. supposed to. But I think that's true of business as well. We have to keep our eyes open. It's not just the plan that's in our heads. It's paying attention to how are people responding? What are they wanting more of? Oh, they wanted that and I thought they wanted this. Hmm, that's interesting. How do I work that in? And that process for me is really creative and really interesting. And it calls you to the mat, so to speak. It mm. makes you think, well, this isn't what I thought I was going to be doing. But that experience going back to your question with Isamu, with my husband, of seeing him treated basically like a dead man walking, which isn't who he was to me, became the fire for me of what I believe in, what I teach and what I do.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so with that insight, it's kind of like, I'm going to make change and then your brain starts to just figure out things what was the first kind of roadblock for you in going from i've got all this fire i want to do something but then actually oh going from an idea to to action
1: so many roadblocks i mean it's so it, it's hard to even think of the first every point of scaling and every point of putting yourself out there and becoming more clear in your message presents its own roadblocks. I know I've had students say to me, like, you don't know what it's like because if I have to speak in public, like it's scary. And I'm like, you know, every time you up the ante, it is scary. And that's important that it's scary because it means you're more invested in what it is you want to do in the world. So As practiced as I can be, meaning I've had lots of opportunities for conversations like this and to be on stages, every time presents a new opportunity of the twist of that conversation, the needs of that audience, how is this going to land? And so it's hard for me to point out just one, James, but the biggest one for me that really was painful was trying to grow my clinic because people were coming and still come to our clinic, which is a virtual clinic for me, but they don't get to meet with me. I'm in the background, I'm reviewing cases, but the initial stage of getting to that handoff came with many bumps and bruises and, you know, hardships of how that felt and what that looked like. And now it's seamless, but it really took a lot of uh, Tension and fine tuning and the right people. And that I think was one of the biggest hiccups in my business growth.
0: The answer I expected is what you said. And that's what I was looking for. It's that often we think that it's just going to be like a, like a ladder. There's going to be a rung that gets in our way and we just have to figure out that one gap. And in reality, it's not that at all. And reality is it's constant adversity. And I think that people don't understand that until they get into it. And I think that when you've had some level of, you know, success really just means you've overcome a lot of obstacles because you just kept pushing. And I enjoy it because I see it differently. I see obstacles as fuel opportunity. Like that's why if it was easy and it was constant and it was consistent and there was no variation, you knew what the outcome was going to be. It'd be boring and you wouldn't do it. Life is ups and downs, but it's how you view them. And and in business, it's even, you know, I dare say even, even more important how you view them because that's the difference between whether you get what you want and you make that impact. And if you're purpose driven, then you have to figure it out because then what are you doing? You're giving up on your dreams. You're giving up on everything you believe in which is the difference between someone who's successful and someone who's not. Because if you're not driven by something or you're willing to give up on those dreams, like how real was it in the first place. And I love that conversation with regards to growing your your practice and, and kind of stepping out as well as what you do with, with the, the coaching, the training and things you talked about, you know, we're, we're individuals, we have different journeys to get there, you know, to the diagnosis, et cetera. How do you factor that in while simultaneously teaching people concepts that have to be relatively standardized if you're going to help people to be able to reproduce what you're doing?
1: Yeah. I love that question because it's exactly what I do, but it's hard to talk about. So systems and frameworks, mental models are a huge part of what I teach. And by that, I mean, I've had to learn what my brain does and actually take it off and learn to teach it. And that meant that there are certain ways that my brain thinks about things or can see things and certain refinements of how my brain might think about things that I had to put into systems. So there's three, I talk in a lot of threes when I teach. So this is one of the threes that I actually don't teach into, but that I hold in my overarching strategy. And that's that we have to understand how the body should function. So physiology at its core is the evidence that we really need to pay attention into. That's like what the body should be doing. We then need systems and frameworks that help us with our analysis. So Mm -hmm. what is it that we need to do here or collect? My other three that I'm going to introduce that I do teach into, one of the other threes is called the art of the practice. So we need to assess before we recommend and then we track and the tracking leads back to our assessments. So that art is assess, recommend and track. So we need the assessment tools that help us to slow down think through a certain lens, and that's where the systemization comes Mm -hmm. into play. But the third piece for me that's really critical is critical thinking. So we need to understand how the body should function. We need to understand what we're assessing based on the individual and how to assess and what tools to use to assess, which is those are the two things I'm teaching. Ultimately, the hidden piece that I'm teaching has to do with critical thinking, When a new student comes into Full Body Systems, our 10-month program, they can't see that yet. They're still asking questions that have to do with like the biochemistry of fat digestion, which we're trying to always bring them back to like, why do you need to know that for this client or patient? What is it you're trying to get to? And that critical thinking and the use of the systems and tools is really where the magic happens. But... It is a reframe, just mm. like you're talking about for business, really getting sustainable results in healthcare that aren't just protocol-based, which aren't sustainable, in my opinion. We have to reframe our thinking about what we're doing in that therapeutic relationship. Mm. So for me, it's the mental models, and that's a ambiguous term, but basically it's the frameworks. It's systems mm. that help us to check ourselves, check our thinking, check our biases, check our speed, and make sure that we're making the next right recommendation. Even though everybody's individual, it's the slowdown that helps us work into the individuality.
0: Yeah. The way that I teach it is in a a very similar context is that too many people try and get fancy about stuff. And you'll always notice that the amateurs, the beginners, the people who don't really know, always try and overcompensate and get fancy because yeah. as you start to see more and more of the picture, you yes. start to understand how to make decisions around it. And it gets simpler yes. because you're not trying to overcomplicate it to compensate for a lack of actual understanding. And I think that's yes. the difference between knowing and doing when you start yes. to do, you start to, to see what actually matters. And so in a similar context within, within a practice is it's like individualization of care seems like a good idea, but is not scalable and you can't help the masses in doing so and you limit yes. your potential to help people and so collectively if you were to measure the help is less right yes. protocolization and having 100% systems of do this this and this can work in a short term thin band but isn't necessarily as scalable either for right. making impact right and so there's this fine line between those things and i always think about it in terms of there is always a worse way to do it so therefore yeah. there's a better way to do it yeah. right like uh, people talk i 'll give you a really odd example, but think about it like dating right there's a lot of people that teach dating and, and yeah. you know, things like that, and people will so often say you know that's ridiculous, just be yourself and blah 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 and i 've always laughed at that because everything can always be done better. Yes. You always just see someone who's doing it well and you think, "What are they doing, and then you do something similar until you find the art in the middle, the magic where it yes. is you, but yes. prior to that it's kind of like if I was to just you know yell obscenities at, At my date, that's the worst way of doing it. That's not going (laughs) to work. Therefore, there must be things that I can say and do during the process to make it a better experience, better outcome. And so I take that approach with everything. I look for someone who has produced an outcome I want, and then I mimic them until I understand it, and then I branch off into my the art side, as you referred to, right? Right. And so I found that was training practitioners. In my own clinics, but also uh, people in, in my programs, is helping them to see that there is a better way of doing it that can be more standardised. And yes. then once you have that fundamental baseline of this is the best model of doing it, in now you find where you are within that in, in the customization. I'm not sure, you know, whether you wholeheartedly agree on that or not, but I feel like that's yeah a, a big part of why my practice has been successful and, and why I've helped clinicians to do it because you you just say, like retaining clients, converting clients, making recommendations. There's a worse way of doing it and a better way of doing it. And then you'll find your your happy medium.
1: For us, it's process. So in our clinic, and I'm teaching based on what we do in the clinic, there's a process. Like It's not like somebody comes in for the first appointment and we're doing something different. What happens, our recommendations will be different based on what we do in our process. So it's the process that's standardized and Mm. allows us to go deep. And one thing you're making me think about as you're talking about this is the journey that we have to go on to be the best practitioners we could be and to be the best business leaders we can be, Mm. that better way. And that better way calls us to action around our own self-worth and self-growth. And I think that that's where a lot of people trip. So what I see with, you know, I train about 1,200 practitioners a year. What I see is that people are trying to get validated for what they know versus mm-hmm. what they can do. And so there's work to do oh, there to get out of that information trap and in and then what i call the knowledge gap where you're talking right above somebody's head which is about you not at all about them and same with business growth the thing with business growth in that place the passion piece is part of what i call the 5p's which we can talk about in business growth but That passion piece really helps us to have the meaning that allows us to get over those humps because the humps are going, the bumps are going to occur. And what we have to do is every time look at where am I getting in my own way? And to answer that question, there's always a depth of work that we have to do. Where am I getting in my own way? Am I not giving myself permission? Do I not believe in myself in this moment? Am I too scared of the success? There's so many things where we get in our own way, but we blame it on all the other factors around us.
0: Yeah, 100%. And that validation is is so important. You'll see it in newer practitioners and, and less experienced ones or even ones that have been around a long time but haven't worked with a lot of clients and done it yes. in a big business model. It's like clinging to the alphabet after their name, clinging to yes. stuff and using the technical terms. And And it's interesting. I always call it, you know, there's a lot of broke experts, people yeah. who know the most stuff. But cannot communicate it effectively to actually help people and grow their business or influence, and that's the difference between being an expert and, and an authority. An authority yes. is someone who's trusted for the information that they're providing, and there's value there, and people can consume it and digest it and understand it. And if we want to impact people, which is you know the reason why most of us are, are in healthcare, we need to understand how to communicate effectively to get a client yes. to take actions, because ultimately. I always say that if you can't get someone to say yes, then there's there's nothing you can do to help that person. And so it's exactly. yes, yes yes, to start a conversation, yes to work with me, yes to continue. And and everything is about yes, because again, so many practitioners, we, we make these recommendations, we give them some stuff, we say, here you go. And I feel I get this a lot in New Zealand with naturopaths. It might be different uh, where you are, but naturopaths in New Zealand are a little bit different. And they make big plans for people and they'll hand it and then they'll say, okay, bye-bye. You know, yeah, support. exactly. And I'm like, you're never going to help anyone because no one's going to do it. They exactly. Could YouTube, they could have YouTubed this. Your job is to to guide them and give them insights exactly. to actually implement. It's not the stuff as much as it is just doing it. And so I'm always coaching my my ones about actually following through with people. But I think that some of that is, sometimes it's a fear. Sometimes yeah. it's a lack of belief in themselves to get the yes. outcome. So if I give it to you to do and it doesn't work, well, it was something to do with you and, and not yes. what I had given you. Uh, it's interesting, interesting dynamic. How do you think yeah, someone Yeah, two can, things. Can yeah. I just respond to- yeah,
1: Two things there I think that are really important to consider. And one, I always joke like dietary change, habit change, whatever you do is not a handout like people are complicated and it takes work and our support so that like give them the whole list of things to do and they don't do it and then blaming the compliance on them, again, is one of those places I call functional empathy. Now, empathy for me is a conversation I try to have with beginning practitioners, but I realized I had to have it with my advanced practitioners because everybody in this field thinks they have empathy, but they're actually railroad the situation too many times. That is not functional empathy. So I talk about building a bridge versus being a bridge. So often we find practitioners are like you said, giving too much information at once, but also feeling all of their client or patient's pain and then not charging for their services. And they've got empathy all wrong. But Mm -hmm. clinicians, I hope whoever's listening can hear that and consider that. But I do find it's an advanced clinical conversation where the aha can happen and they realize, oh my gosh, I'm not being empathetic. I'm trying to fix them and that's not what they want. Or I'm Mm. railroading the conversation or yeah, I think I'm helping because I took on their mother and their sister for the same price because I want to help the family. That's not empathy. And so all of those things get in between us and our clinical success and in between us and our business success. So, you know, I have a whole training on empathy and it used to be the front end. And it's one of those business decisions where I was like, they can't hear this. I got to move it over here.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of enabling I find yes. I that <laughs> yes. often we, we get roped into the, the client's story about how hard life is. And then we, f- we sympathize and yes. want to fix and think that, well, I'll charge less. I'll do more. I'll come to your house, look after your kids. <laughs>
1: uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> Mow your things. lawn, cook your dinner. Yeah,
0: And it's like, that's not going to help them because the help, this is a, this is a deep topic. Um, but I, I think that the help is not in us overcompensating and enabling their stories. The help is in actually just getting them to to actually just do the stuff they need to do to get healthy. And that that means changing your your mindset is key. Like I'll give you a really good example. I I did a lot with anxiety early on and I noticed there were two categories of people. There are people who have anxiousness and it's in the way. They might be clinically whatever, but they haven't gone down that road. They're just experiencing some stuff that's limiting them in achieving what they want to achieve. So they're looking for strategy to overcome it. Therefore, when you give them strategy and it makes sense, they do it and they get a result because they're purpose-driven and there's this thing in the way. Yes. The other group have a story. Yes. They're enrolled in their anxiety. I'm yep. this and this. I'm, you know, something wrong in my brain, blah, blah, blah. And so when you come along, you say, okay, we'll just do this, this and this. They're never able to buy into that new story because it, it counters their old story, which is their right. life and what they tell their friends, their family and themselves in yes. the morning in the mirror every day. And understanding that, Well, the way that I teach it is understanding who it is you would ideally like to work with so that we can make sure that we're aligning ourselves with people that are ready to receive what we've got. But even when you've got those clients already, it's about understanding that just keeping them in your practice because you're doing all these nice things of, you know, reducing their fees and taking on their mother and father and whatever, is not actually going to help them. It's actually enabling it further and keeping them in that cycle of suffering. Can sound a bit harsh, but that's been my experience. No, I mean, it's,
1: and, and I yeah. think it's really getting to the why of the client or patient. So mm. when we understand beyond what they're telling us, the reason they're there, we can always relate it back. And I'm going to give a little model that's a business model and a healthcare model. So in business, we have a CEO who's supposed to see the whole business, and we have the workers who are doing the everyday work, they're the doers. But we need managers who can help the workers do what's in alignment with what the CEO is driving us towards. That is the same model we have to think about in healthcare, but the patient is the CEO and they are also the worker They're the ones who have to do the work every single day to meet the goals of the CEO, who they should also be. So as the manager, which is our job as clinicians, we have to understand what are the goals, what is the why of the CEO, who is the patient, so that we can constantly be relating what we're asking them to do to their outcome and vision. And if their outcome and vision is clouded by some story about what's possible, it's our work to to get to that depth, that deep Mm. motivating factor, that purpose so that we can remind them to come back to or what they're doing that for. And as you said, if we can't, if that's an impossibility, then we have to recognize that it's not our job to chase them Mm. for that outcome, but our job to let go and determine who's in charge here? Like who's in charge of the relationship? And leadership is another thing I teach my advanced practitioners. I'm just going to give you an example. I had a client that I worked with for a long time, a young woman with MS. And we got her to the point where the neurologist couldn't even consider it. MS, because MS is, of course, a constellation of factors, not one blood marker. And so we had done a tremendous amount of work together. And she's in an amazing place. You know, she was a gymnast and a lawyer. She adopted a child, isn't working, but is able to run and exercise every day. And again, like not have the markers of a diagnosis. She ran with a woman whose husband was diagnosed with the same kind of brain tumor that my husband had, a glioblastoma multiforme. And they had read that a ketogenic diet is good for a brain tumor. So they came to us to help them with a ketogenic diet for that brain tumor We worked with them in the beginning and ultimately we had to fire them as a client because a ketogenic diet wasn't the appropriate recommendation for that phase of his treatment. He was about to go through chemo, radiation, ton of stress, not be able to hold down food anyway. Ketosis is a hard place to bring the body. Ketogenic diets are good for brain tumor maintenance, not while you're going through treatment. And we have to sit in the seat of leadership and say, we don't believe this is the appropriate thing for you at this stage. We would love to help you once you're through this situation. That's leadership. Empathy would be, in the way I see clinicians doing it, would be doing what they asked us to do, Because we want to help so badly. Do I want to help a young man who's a young father who has the same brain tumor that my husband had? Absolutely, but not when I'm compromising the integrity of my leadership and understanding as a clinician.
0: 100%. Kind of back to your your previous point of understanding what, what people need and want and making sure that you're leading them in the right direction and knowing when to let go of a client. The measure of this is, and especially for the listeners, think about how happy you are Monday morning to see some of your clients. And if you're thinking to yourself, holy crap, like, fuck, I don't want to see this person. they probably, you know, maybe you should get them off, off the ship. Um, I feel like we, we often make our decisions from scarcity and, how do I just cover rent and make money and see clients and help some people? And maybe if I help some of them, I'll get enough referrals and I'll build a business. And when you're focusing on referral based businesses where you're just hustling your way through and you have no consistent way of attracting clients and things like that, and your clients don't really stick around, you kind of tend to just grab onto anyone, but that's not a long-term strategy. And I see it with my associates a lot. I've been through it myself. And the, the pivot for me was focusing on what am I actually doing here for me? and for yes. my clients and knowing that at the end of the day, I can keep someone on the hook and I'm not really going to help them and they're going to be a pain in the ass and it's going to make my life yes. hard. Or I can understand where I want to go and I can empathize and I can support that person through it, but they have to be willing to be there because if I'm forcing them to be there, it's going to break everything down for everyone. And so some of my most you know, successful, happy clients, amazing clients, six months later are people who were difficult to begin with, yeah. but I didn't just say, okay, I'm going to do what you want to do. I said, that's exactly. not how it works. So if you want yeah. this thing here, which yep. you're telling me you do, then you're going to follow what I'm telling you to do and exactly. we're going to do this and I'm not going to bend. And through that, you know, it was uncomfortable in some places because it was, it was uncomfortable because your ego and, and your person wants to bend, right? To yes. make it comfortable and easy, yes. but you set yourself up. Perfect example of this is the first practice I bought. Everyone, I'm a chiropractor, right? Everyone's telling me where they want their neck cracked. Not yes. where should I get adjusted? Not even that. More like it's sore here. Click me here. You didn't get yeah. it. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean I didn't get it? Exactly. Um, it's like going to your surgeon and say, sorry, I want my right arm to be amputated. You go, yes, but it's your left <laughs> one that needs to be. It's like, yes, but I want yes. my right one. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But as a young practitioner, as inexperienced, an experience and, and, and wanting to just get clients, you tend to go, okay, sure. But then you're perpetuating the cycle and life yeah. and business is hard. And so kind of fast forward to now, it's, it's very much around what outcomes am I producing? What's my purpose? Yes. And, and I'm going to guide this person and hold their hand, but I'm not going to pull them. Yes. They have to want to go there. And that means that they get better outcomes. They're happier. And so are you. Yeah. Yeah, You said something
1: really Mm -hmm. important there that I think gets mixed up when we think about niche. And a lot of practitioners want to find their niche and they actually decide on it beforehand, before working with people. And what you're talking about is really where we thrive in our practice. When we come out of the day and we have those conversations where we're like, yeah, I was awesome in that conversation. That is what I want to do when we pay attention to that and we figure out where we're actually drained and where we're fed. That's the information that helps us to pivot and say, this is more who I want to be talking to. This is more mm-hmm. where my conversation lands. And that's how we start to create our ideal avatar because we should be experiencing our ideal avatar mm-hmm. when we put ourselves out there. But again, it requires the pivot because it may look different than we thought it was going to look. And mine has changed over time and you have to let it, you have to come to that reckoning of, oh, it's different than I thought it was going to be. And then the next day, oh, it's different than I thought it was going to be.
0: It's very circular, right? If you if you knew, then you wouldn't be doing the things. And so of course it's going to be different to what you expected because what you expected exactly. was not getting what you wanted to be. It's funny, super funny. Um, I've got <laughs> one last question for you. What's one thing you think that health professionals can do this week to have more impact, have more growth in their businesses based on the stuff we've talked about.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to quickly share my five P model. I call it practice on purpose because there are five P's. We've talked about some of them. The first one's passion. And I'm going to say we all have it. And this is a little mini module I have for my students where I teach into practice on purpose. We all have passion for what we want to do. We need to look at where we are giving ourselves permission and where we are not. That story that we're talking about that our clients and patients have about what they can't do is the same story that's keeping us from doing what we're doing. So whose permission are you looking for? And look inside. We talked about purpose. And again, that's that deep motivating factor. What is it that you are so passionate about that you won't lay down until it's done? I mean, I've worked my ass off as a single mom and It's my passion. So it feels like when other people might say, Where's the work life balance? that I feel like, No, you don't understand. My work is my passion. So, like, I don't, like, it's my purpose. Like, it is my life. It's not, there's Mm -hmm. not a divide. But there's two other P's that are part of the picture that's persistence and perseverance. And I just want to highlight those because I think a lot of practitioners in our community feel like it's just going to come to them, like it's just going to happen. And for those of us who made it happen, we were persistent and we persevered. So persistent means be regular. If you're doing a podcast do it regularly. Become dependable for yourself, but Mm -hmm. also for the client who may be opening their inbox today and not need you. But when they open their inbox in a month, they're like, oh yeah, there's that guy who talks about that thing that I'm interested in. So that persistence is key. Commit to one thing, whether it's posting on Instagram or tweeting, commit and be regular. I was so regular with my newsletter for years, every single week. And that perseverance is recognizing that we're going to fall down and we get up and we keep going. The idea you had, whoops, it wasn't the best idea in the world. So Mm. just Be persistent, watch and listen, persevere, recognizing there's something that works in everything you do, even if the whole big idea didn't work. And that's what keeps you moving forward. And the sixth P should be pivot. That's a really important one.
0: Amazing. Look, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a great episode, super insightful. And and I know that there's been a lot of value for our listeners. Where's somewhere that, that they can connect with you online?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, Just head over to fxnutrition.com. And from there, you can learn about the practitioner training, the clinic, but also I have a weekly podcast, which you can find there called the 15-Minute Matrix. And um, we're starting to do a lot on YouTube as well.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention. Because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals. How to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me. How to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business and I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.